We are uh, we're wrapping up today a series on culture, a series on the culture of the world around us, different things that are going on in it, and, uh, and the culture of the kingdom uh, within us, and the challenges of navigating the world culture as, as people of faith and followers of Jesus, because culture is, uh, is changing greatly uh, these days. And we started this whole series on culture uh, with me asking you a question, and the question was, truth or love? Truth or love? And you guys get to vote. So are you a, are you a, a truther or are you a lover? Truth or love? All right, how many say truth? How many say love? How many refuse to answer? You undecided? Both, right? The answer is supposed to be, supposed to be both. Uh, they each are supposed to strengthen the other. Let me, uh, let me rephrase it a little bit this morning. Should you accept yourself the way you are, or should you get off your butt and measure up? Self-acceptance, measuring up, both. How many believe that the two strength, that each strengthens the other, like truth and love? Yeah, does, does accepting yourself really make you get off your butt and try to measure up? You know, is that how it works? How about, how about this? Accepting others versus trying to get others to measure up. Whoa, that's different. That's different, right. Accepting others, important, more important to try to get others to measure up. Equally important, one more important. Come on, you have to answer me or... Um, or uh, the Lord will judge you. <laughs> Measure up, people. What do you think? I, I think it's still both. I think it's still both. And I think the key uh, to accepting others is trying to empower them uh, to measure up. The key to empowering others to measure up, of course, is accepting them uh, with God's uh, radical love. I think in some ways this, uh, this kind of boils down to two values that we might have in life. One value is grace, which is my, I don't know, it might, it might be my favorite, my favorite virtue in, in all the universe. I just love, I love grace. I think it's something that you find uniquely in the kingdom of God, in the heart of God. Grace is the most foreign concept in all the world. Grace is God's radical generosity, his unjustifiable generosity, and our unjustifiable generosity uh, toward others. I love grace. But another, another virtue I'm pretty high on is responsibility. Responsibility. Taking re responsibility for myself and taking responsibility for others and inspiring other people to take responsibility. Grace and responsibility. Truth and love. Acceptance. You're all distracted by the grandma, aren't you? You're not even listening to anything I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. She's a ham. Loves it. Did you get the part about grace and responsibility, though? Did you hear that part? Did you? Yeah? Not at all. Uh, and with that in mind today, I'd like to talk about uh, 
having a culture of meaning, having a culture of meaning, or a culture that encourages meaningful lives uh, for those of us within the culture. What kind of culture should we try to build to empower meaningful lives among ourselves? And exactly how should we go about doing that? You know, and, and, and these days, I think there, there are really two pronounced paths uh, in, in culture or even in church culture. There's getting meaning from who I am. You know, there's, there's a lot of passion in the world today about discovering who I am, being true to who I am. Getting meaning from who I am versus getting meaning from, well, doing stuff. You know, living meaningfully, doing good things and, and taking responsibility. Or to boil it down a different way, does meaning come from your identity, who you are, or does meaning come from your actions, what you do? What do you think? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, true to the theme of the day, I think the answer kind of has to be uh, both. Uh, I was thinking of a story this week. Pardon me, I've told this story in a sermon before, uh, but it's it really one of my favorite personal stories about grace. I was, uh, I was ministering in Korea, in South Korea, uh, uh, several years back, and I was speaking at a conference there for, for young people. And, and my rule is, and I won't go into this deeply, but when I speak to large congregations of Koreans, I always start with grace. If you're Korean, you might understand why I do this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a culture of strength, by and large, not to be stereotypical. And I just, I just love that. Um, uh, sometimes into a culture of strength, it's important to speak a, uh, a message of, of grace. The obverse is probably true as well. Uh, anyway, so I, I just took the opportunity to, to talk, you know, one of my favorite sermons, which is, which is about grace. I talked about God's radical generosity. I believe I used the story of the woman caught in adultery. Do you know that story? Uh, some religious experts, some uh, religious leaders brought this woman caught red-handed in the act of adultery. That must have been a fun episode. Uh, and dragged her before Jesus all unkempt. And, uh, and he refused to look at her. You know, he doodled on the ground instead and said some things that eventually made everybody leave until he was left alone with just, just him and the woman. And then he said, well, where did your accusers go? And she said, well, nobody's left here to accuse me. And then Jesus said, well, then I don't accuse you either. Go in peace, dot, 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 but be careful. Leave your life of sin. <laughs> because they're going to kill you if they catch you again, you know, that was, that was the message. And, and to me, it was, it's just a beautiful picture of grace, because it's not, it's not just, just the Lord forgiving a lady's sin, it's the Lord refusing to look at her in her shame. It's just so, so gracious, you know, so generous. I love that story, I love preaching that sermon, and I was talking about grace, and, and, and uh, it was, you know, I think a powerful night. And then and then the Koreans were very organized afterwards. They'd, you know, usually I just call people to the prayer line for ministry, but they put me in a separate room and they had people with clipboards making people line up single file. Uh, and then I got to pray for them one by one, like for the rest of the night. Uh, but, it was, but it was very methodical. And so I was doing that toward the, toward the very end. This young woman walked in and, and she just started gushing her story out to me. Uh, speaking in Korean, my Korean, not what it should be, uh, so there was an interpreter in the room, and, uh, but, but this young lady was just like, 
just gushing, and the interpreter couldn't get an, a word in edgewise. But, but I immediately, in my spirit, knew, knew the story that she was telling. I could just, I just tell. And, and then later, the, the interpreter confirmed it. Uh, this young lady, she, she couldn't have been more than like 23, 24 years old, uh, she said to me, uh, well, pastor, uh, I just want you to know that um, I, uh, I'm a lesbian, and I tried to go to churches. I've been kicked out of three churches, and the pastors at all of the churches told me that, that I couldn't go, that God hates me because I'm messed up uh, sexually. I don't even know why I came to this conference. There must have been an interesting story behind it. Uh, I don't even know why I'm here. I have entirely given up on churches, and, and I assume that God hates me. Uh, but, she looked at me with these big expressive eyes, and she just started weeping. But, if God is like the God that you talked about tonight, then I will change anything about myself. Just tell me what to do. Just an amazing moment. An amazing moment. I was shaking myself. And my response to her was, oh, God is like the God. Uh, that I was talking about tonight. He is a God of grace. But I'm not even going to talk to you about what you should do with your sexuality. I'm not even going to go there. That can be between you and God. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray that, that you just feel his presence. And so I prayed for that. While I was praying, I had this word of knowledge that she had something uh, wrong that she needed to be healed from down here in her feminine parts. Uh, so I just spoke healing into it. I didn't even ask her about it. And it turned out to be true. She had been suffering in, with sort of an like, kind of ovarian disorder or something. I didn't get to the bottom of it. It's all in Korean. But she was immediately healed. She'd been in pain for like three years, and the pain immediately stopped. And she was just joyful and crying. She stayed for the rest of the conference. Anyway, here's the point of that story. Uh, I, really like, I really like that story. The point is she understood grace and therefore would embrace any standard that God gave her. You know, it's like she understood God's generosity. She understood that God accepted her through and through, and therefore, paradoxically, was willing to change anything about herself. You see how that works? You know, she was just totally free to not do anything. Therefore, she would do anything. <laughs> and, and there's just something about that that's the very heart of the gospel, I think. And she got it. You know, she had this horror story with the church. I mean, I mean God knows what the poor thing went through. Just the, just the rejection and, you know, the measure and, and, and this warped version of God. But when she heard the truth, she embraced it. And uh, I wish I had a thousand moments like that. Uh, in, in, in my life. Grace, extraordinarily generous. Grace also requires that there be a standard, that there be something to measure up to, right? Otherwise, there's no basis for the generosity, right? You got to know how it is that you're being let off the hook. <laughs> uh, and you know, conversely, when we accept grace, we sort of accept the standards too. Even though we may fall short, falling short ceases to be the problem. You know, the problem is, well, how can I go forward? That's the question uh, in, in any case. 
Uh, she really got grace, and therefore, she really took her life into her own hands, got off her butt, and started pursuing meaning in a new way. I think grace and change work together. Grace and change work together. Change and grace work together. Otherwise, they don't work at all. If you're stuck in life, you know, it may well be because you don't understand grace. Uh, This all has to do with building a a culture of meaning, uh, ultimately. Right now, I would say in in the broader uh, culture around us, in world culture, there's kind of a a cult of self-expression or a cult of acceptance or a cult of identity. Identity is a hugely important word right now out there in in culture. There's there's a high value placed on on self-expression, whatever that is. In politics, we're as, as, a, as a nation, we're rather obsessed with identity politics. You hear a lot about identity in media as well. Now, I kind of like this uh, because everyone should feel as if they have access to the arena. Everyone should feel as if they have access to the very core of who we are as a people, to the very core of culture and politics and economics and justice and all of those things. So there's a way in which like focusing on how people are different and what their identities are or what they're identifying with, it sort of helps us think, yeah, and they need to be included too. Yeah, and they need to be included too. Yeah, and they need to be included too. The problem is that when all you do is kind of focus on who you are, ultimately it tends to drive people apart because you get obsessed with differences instead of what we share in common. We've talked a little bit about that in the course of this culture uh, series. So I like it, but, you know, maybe who you are is not, is not worth getting obsessed about. You know, because, let's face it, you're no great thing. You're no great shake. So you can just turn to somebody next to you and go, Eh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, right, I mean, we can, we can admit it, yeah. Careful, careful, you don't want to do it to your spouse so much. And... Now, it is magnificently true that God accepts you as you are, but that's because God's perfect. It's not because you're perfect. Amen? And, and I'm... I'm here to declare that it's true that I accept you as you are, uh, but that's because I'm trying to be godly, not because you're super impressive. <laughs> All right? And I think we just kind of be honest about that. Uh, we'd be in a place of grace just, just a little bit more. I think self-expression is wonderful, but it, it seems to me that at least half of self-expression uh, should be about humble confession right? I mean, if we're really going to get serious about self-expression, we should, we should express our identity and who we are, and we should also tell the story about how, how much we suck and what a mess we are. It's like the broken stuff needs to come out as well. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's, not, it's not perfectly true. Um, you know, we shouldn't be saying, beautiful stuff comes out of me because I'm awesome. We should be saying, um, Beautiful stuff comes out of me, even though I'm a mess. And that somehow makes the stuff more beautiful, in my opinion. It's deeper and, and more compelling. 
And relatedly, this, this sort of cult of self-expression and self-acceptance can backfire a little bit because no matter how much we talk about it, uh, there's a way in which many of us just don't feel that we're worth acceptance, you know, that we're just kind of, we feel that there's not in us much that is worth expressing. And you know what? We might well be right. We might well be right in the sense that there are lives that just get consumed with darkness and trouble. And that needs to be expressed, but we call it confessed then. You know, that stuff needs to get out for sure, but maybe not in the way that culture is telling us it needs to get out. Uh, be true to you. Be true to who you are. Just be true to you. That's a phrase that we hear a lot uh, these days, but I, I, I'd much rather prefer the phrase, be true about you. Don't be true to you. Be true about you. Because you're not really smart enough to know you yet. You know, you, you may well not be wise enough to understand yourself. What person is? What person truly understands all of their own motivations? the depths of their own souls, like Scripture says, uh, the waters of the, uh, the well of the heart is deep waters, and it takes a person of understanding to draw it out. You know, your heart is a mysterious thing, and you may not understand it so well. Um, be true about that, I think, is, is what is important. And in so doing, you might discover a better version of you down the road anyway. Um, be true to you. Be true to who you are. Be true to what you want. Be true to what you desire. I think that's kind of limiting, personally. Be true about you. I think that's delimiting. Unlimiting. I think that really frees you up. Uh, to be whatever God calls you to be. So I much prefer, and sort of the life of radical self-acceptance, I much prefer the life of measuring up. Hey, measure up. Now, that might not sound like a Jesus message to you, but I think it's a, it's a wonderful Jesus message when it's understood in the context of grace. You know, when the standard, when truth is understood in the context of love, it's incredibly empowering. Measure up. Grace should leave you, lead you to a life of trying to measure up to whatever is high, to whatever is excellent, in the words of the Apostle Paul. Now, you're not going to do it perfectly. You're not going to pull off excellence perfectly in all regards, but you're going to try like nobody's business. Why are you going to try? Because you're not much afraid of failure. Why? Well, because you understand grace. And so you're free. When you're free of the fear of failure, you're free to try like there's no tomorrow. I think there's something about that that captures the gospel message nightly, uh, nicely. You're not going to compromise truth. You're not going to pretend that there's no standard in order to hide your shame and your failure. Grace has that covered. So simply do good and do rightly and be humble. Do good, do rightly, and be humble. Or, as a friend of mine likes to say, get over yourself and get on with it which in a way is a nice rephrasing of the basic Jesus message, I think. Oh, get over yourself. Get on with it. You know, get over yourself. You're forgiven. It, 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 okay, it's fine. You're forgiven. Now get on with it. Get on with it. Always look ahead. Forgetting what is past, striving toward what is ahead, as the Apostle Paul puts it. Get over yourself and get on with it. Seek first the kingdom. Preach the message. Take responsibility 
for yourself and for the condition of the world around you. I prefer that life, the life of measuring up uh, to the life of radical self-acceptance and self-expression. Uh, you can ask yourself diagnostically, uh, do I look at life situations and think, what does this say about me? Or do I look at life situations and think, what should I do about this? Think about that for a moment. After the Harleys pass. If you rode a Harley, what would your self-identity be? Oh, yeah. All right, so ask yourself that question uh, a little bit. Um, do, you, do you look at, let's say, challenges. When challenges come into your life, or when failures or, or potentially fearsome situations come into your life, do you say, what does this say about me? Or do you say, what should I do about this? Notice I changed my posture. What does this say about me? What should I do about this? In the first instance, you're going to feel frustrated and afraid. In the second instance, you're going to feel earnest and perhaps confident. Anyway, to answer the culture question, how do you build a culture of meaning? All right. We should build a culture of radical grace and uncompromising truth and discipline. It should be a culture of radical generosity and radical responsibility. We have to preach both sides. You have to preach both sides. If you just, just preach generosity, grace, and acceptance, then, I don't know, it's just sort of people get stuck uh, uh, contemplating identity and things get kind of shallow. On the other hand, if you just preach discipline and responsibility, uh, people tend to feel guilty all the time. And that's a great way to get stuck as well. Yeah, you gotta do both. Uh, radical grace and uncompromising truth and discipline. Um, I think about this as a parent, maybe some of you do as well. I really want my children to never doubt my love and acceptance, come what may. Never doubt our relationship. It's filled with love, filled with acceptance. I'm always here, I'm always dad. You're always my child. Uh, that's, the way, uh, that's the way it should be. But I also want my children to always respect my standards and my wisdom because I'm the parent. I'm the adult. And I know more. Less and less as time goes by, but I think I still know a little bit more, at least about, about some things. So never doubt my love. Always respect my wisdom honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you in the land the Lord has given you. One of the big ten commandments and I think in, in some ways the bedrock of all successful world cultures. Um, my grace to my kids, my radical generosity toward them does not mean that I have no standards. Right? They agree. They're just quiet. Um, 
but my standards doesn't, don't mean that there are, there's no grace and acceptance. Bo both are true. This is what it means to be an adult. This is what it means to be mature, I think. You get to accept both sides of that. We have our scripture today, which is on the back of your program, except you don't have a program because the printer broke. But there's grace. We have taken responsibility, and we're going to put it up on the big board. Uh, and this is a, a parable, parable of uh, the talents or parable of, of the sacks of gold or the bags of gold, depending on what translation. Uh, it may be a familiar parable to you. Let's read it today thinking about healthy culture and particularly the combination of responsibility and grace. Responsibility and grace. Here's how it goes. Jesus is explaining what the kingdom of, of heaven is like. And he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his uh, wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work. He made some sort of a, uh, investment with the cash. And he gave, gained five bags more. Successful investment. Also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more, and the man who had received one bag of gold dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So, he did differently. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. There will be a settling. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. You get more responsibility. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Let me just underscore really, really quickly that this idea of responsibility managed successfully equals more responsibility given. I mean, that's reward. That's maturity. That's progress in the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus. And then he says, says share your master's happiness, that this isn't the sort of responsibility that leads to deadness and heaviness. This is celebration. This is joyfulness. This is what it means to share in the Lord's happiness and his fruitfulness. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's... Here's the bag that belongs to you. So obviously, this guy's problem was that he did not think that the master was generous at all. Right? This is a guy that did not understand the nature of grace. And as a result, he was not willing to take responsibility. There's the connection. You see it? There's the connection. If you think God isn't generous, if you think life is only about measuring up, only about God measuring you, then you're not going to do squat. You're going to freeze. What little responsibility the Lord has given you, you're, you're, you're going to hide away. You're going to be unwilling to change anything about your life. And that's what happened here. This guy failed to make that connection. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Dang. 
So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. You should have made some effort at least so that when I returned, I would have received it back uh, with interest. So take the bag of gold from this, uh, from this guy and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant, dang, outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You could spend a lot of time in this parable delving into it. There's so many nice angles to, uh, to take on it. But I think the point is if, if you fail to make that connection, if you fail to embrace both grace and subsequently responsibility, Jesus is very serious about that problem. Very serious about it. You have to do both. You can't just do one or the other or there is some serious uh, trouble there. The point of radical grace is radical action. The point of radical grace is radical action. You have to have both in your life or something is seriously wrong. The point of radical grace is trying hard to measure up. The point of God's radical generosity is freeing you to try hard to measure up. It may sound like a paradox, but it's actually one of those core truths of the kingdom of, of God. There's a stronger version of this parable in Luke 19. I encourage you to read it sometime, where at the end of the story, the king returns and has all of the servants who don't take responsibility killed, just outright killed uh, in front of him. Jesus is, is deadly serious about this. I think at the end of the ages, when we all get judged, and there is a judgment coming. We won't be judged on the basis of our sins, per se. We'll be judged on whether or not we trusted God's generosity to act, enough to act. We'll be judged on our trust, not on our sins. You get the point? But there is a judgment. It's just not a judgment on what most people think it's a judgment on. Do you trust God enough to act? Do you trust God enough to try to measure up? Do you believe in his generosity enough to, to risk failure and exposure and all of those other things that we tend to uh, fear? Ephesians 4, uh, which I think is maybe the New Testament's best chapter on inner health and inner healing, as some people put it, personal maturity. Ephesians 4 puts it this way. If you get this right, it says, sort of connection between truth and grace, self-acceptance and responsibility, if you get it right, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. We won't be infants. If you get it right, you'll be mature. If you get it right, you'll grow up into responsible adults, to use the phrase. You'll mature. So, instead, Speaking the truth in love, truth and love together, there it is, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part, <clears throat> excuse me, each part does its work. There it is. Love doing work. Truth, love. If you get grace, 
then you will accept the standard and try to live up to it. You won't try to deconstruct it and pretend that everybody's just okay the way they are, which is one of the toxins that's in culture these days, as we've talked about a lot. Are you following me? Say, uh, amen. Just checking. Wasn't a very Pentecostal amen, but I will accept it. Um, so how are we doing on that, you know? I know that a healthy culture of meaning should be all about radical acceptance and discipline and responsibility both. How are we doing on that? How are you doing on that? Well, uh, let's think about it here and just kind of wrap up. Get over yourselves and get on with it. Let's, let's use that formulation. Get over yourselves and get on to it. Get over yourselves in part means accept yourselves. Accept yourself the way that you are and just peace out on it. It's like, all right, it's cool. Wherever you're at, you're at. All right, get over it. Get over yourselves and get on with it. Who here is ready to just get over themselves? Yeah, that resonates with you. Go ahead, leave your hand up, be proud. Yes, I'm ready just to get the heck over myself. I'm ready to get over myself. I'm not gonna judge myself too harshly. You know, you have an identity. I know what your identity is. You know what your identity is? You're a child of God. You're a child of God. So for heaven's sake, be childlike. Be childlike, right? Children know that they're not perfect. They glory in it. But they're also, you know, open and curious and, and willing to grow and willing to learn. That's childlikeness. You know, you're at where you're at. If you're a child, you're supposed to be a child, but you're also supposed to be growing. Just deal with that. If you're ready for that, you're really just, ready just kind of like, ah, I'm not going to obsess about self-acceptance anymore. I'm just going to know the truth about me instead of trying to be true to me all the time. That makes sense? All right. If that's you, then uh, what you need to say to the Lord this morning is whatever. Here I am. 